Resilient Cyber Podcast brings you conversations from diverse cybersecurity professionals, ranging from executives, subject matter experts, and aspiring entrants. Today's diverse threat landscape requires systems that can withstand a variety of cyber incidents, remaining trustworthy and secure. Before we start the episode, we want to give a big thank you to our season four sponsor, Nucleus Security. Meet Nucleus, the only risk-based vulnerability management platform purpose-built for the world's most complex enterprises. Nucleus takes the mountain of vulnerability data that is produced by your security stack and unifies it into one clean dashboard that helps you make sense of your assets and vulnerabilities. With Nucleus, users get a normalized and deduplicated list of vulnerabilities across network devices, cloud, applications, and more. Next, we layer in risk and vulnerability intelligence from sources like Mondiant to help you prioritize the vulnerabilities that matter most. Ready to see how Nucleus can help improve your vulnerability management program? Head to NucleusSec.com today. Thank you for joining the Resilient Cyber Show. My name is Chris Hughes, along with my co-host, Dr. Nikki Robinson. Hey, everybody. And today we have a unique situation because our guest is actually Dr. Nikki. Uh, So we're going to be chatting with Dr. Nikki Robinson on her new book. It's called Mind the Tech Gap, Addressing the Conflicts Between IT and Security Teams. Uh, So I guess before we dive in, you know, maybe some folks aren't familiar with you. So a bit bit about your background and then we'll dive into the book from there. Yeah, sounds good. So, um, so yeah, so I was in IT operations. That's really where I got my start. So I started as on help desk probably like your traditional like help desk to security story, but started on help desk, um, worked my way up to sort of a senior sysadmin, did a lot of Windows systems administration and and um, leading a team. Uh, so I did a lot of IT operations type work. You know, tw- I think I was 24-7 on call for like 11 years. And then, uh, you know, sort of got really interested in cybersecurity, especially from the vulnerability management angle. So I started working on certifications and working my way into cybersecurity. And uh, anyway, so I've been in security for about four years, uh, doing everything from vulnerability management to incident response, uh, security architecture and design. So uh, that sort of led me to where I am today. And uh, part of the inspiration or being interested in writing a book was you know, when I decided to make that transition into security, I was working on a DSC in cybersecurity and exploring vulnerability management. And from that angle, I very much was like, I really want to write. And so uh, getting to write a doctorate and a dissertation was sort of this like precursor to, to wanting to write the book. Yeah, I'm sure we'll dive into this a little bit here, but it's ironic that you mentioned getting started on the help desk. That's actually how I started out in the military and IT before cyber. And honestly, it's like, you know, you ever heard people say like, you know, you should you should work in the service industry. I think that, you know, in IT, Absolutely. you should work on the help desk because I learned a hell of a lot about communication and troubleshooting and working with people and, and all those kind of things due to being on the help desk early on in my career. Um, so I want to ask you, you know, on, on the book topic, you know, I know you, you had writing aspirations due to your academic, uh, you know, pursuits and things like that. But why this topic? What made you settle on this topic? You know, it was funny. It was right before I made the transition from IT to cybersecurity. I started, I started seeing, you know, I started getting more involved in security assessments and in audits and being a system owner, you know, someone who actually owns a group of systems. I started interacting a lot more with security and not just on incidents or vulnerabilities, things like that, but really these 
big, heavy meetings and, and long form projects when it came to working with security. And I started seeing this sort of, this sort of combative nature between it and security. You know, it was like, I'm on this side, you're on this side. Um, sorry, my puppy is literally knocking everything over in the background. So if you hear background noise, um, anyway, uh, so I started seeing this very like, well, I'm on the IT side and I, I do this and I do that. And, you know, I'm on the security side and you have to do this and you have to do that. And it, it became this very combative thing. And I, so I really wanted to dig in and understand like, why are we fighting with each other? We, we both may want different things, but at the end of the day, if we work better together, we're actually going to end up getting a lot of these problems solved. And so it doesn't have to be this, you know, this fight, we can actually work together. And so that was really the inspiration behind the book. And then moving into security, you know, seeing things, working with IT and developers and application owners, product owners, and seeing how, you know, me understanding how difficult it is to try to get these projects done, IT projects, trying to get these applications online and in production. And, you know, from the security side, it's like, but wait, we also want you to do these 100 things, because if you don't, you're putting an insecure product out there. And so seeing it from both sides, I really felt like there needed to be something to describe why these conflicts exist and why there's, you know, can be frustration between teams. Uh, so that really helped me sort of pull together the idea for the book. Yeah, I think anyone who's been in security for some time now has definitely, uh, you know, run into that situation and can relate to the kind of the conflict and tension between IT operations and security. Um, you know, at a high level, both groups are ultimately supporting like, you know, the goals of the business or the organization or the mission. Uh, but, you know, at a lower level, they have very different tasks and different focus areas. You know, why do you think those groups have historically been at odds? Uh, what do you think has contributed to that? Yeah, so I think a few things, and I do touch a little bit on it in the book, but the, this idea that sort of from a job description and job role form, we are, we really have a, a completely different goals, you know, on the IT side, on the operations and development side, we're there to support a product, we're there to support a customer. And that means that we probably have SLAs, we have to keep, you know, we might have 99% uptime is our requirement, or, you know, we, we need to make sure this functionality is available for our customer. And on the security side, our job is to reduce risk, you know, in whatever format that might be, re um, remediating vulnerabilities, providing secure configuration guidance, dealing with audits and assessments. But our job is to help lower risk or help determine risk and then come up with a plan from there. And so I think those are often very competing goals because when you want to enhance or improve security, sometimes that impacts functionality. And I think especially from like a historical view, anyone that's been in IT and security for some time has probably had at least one bad experience where they've applied a patch or they've put in a secure configuration and it's broken everything. You know, I think we saw that in the news a couple of days ago that like, you know, changing one thing can sometimes break a ton of systems. And so I think that's partially where some of this, this conflict comes from is this like, hey, I know if I make this change, it could impact my users and it could be my job on the line. You know, it could be something as serious as my job is on the line if these systems go down, uh, which, you know, is obviously very concerning. And that's where I think some of that pushback comes from. But I also think from an education and certification standpoint, we have very different tracks. You know, in IT, we focus very heavily on the technology and how does the technology work? How do we make it work? How do we use it? How do we build things? You know, and from a security education standpoint, it's 
What are the threat vectors? Where, where, where are attackers coming in? What do vulnerabilities mean? How do I remediate them? Uh, how do I build systems uh, securely by design? And those end up being, you know, not just competing goals, but they can end up making projects take longer. You know, if you're trying to enhance or improve security in a product, which then again might affect the customer. If a customer is expecting a product by Friday and you're like, well, we got to push it out a week because we have to do some more testing, you know, then it's like, oh, are we affecting our customer experience? And so I, I think it really sort of snowballs, but it, it really starts with education, certifications, and our mission, you know, sort of what we're told from day one. If you're told from day one, keep these systems up 99% of the time, that's your only job. Just keep them up 99% of the time. If things start encroaching in it, like, security controls or having to take time to apply patches, things like that, then it starts to become this sort of like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, and that's what sort of snowballs into friction. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And, you know, it's kind of a, a combination of like institutional uh, institutionalization, I guess you'd say, from the time we come in the career field and the way we think about what we do and why we do it. And then also just different incentives of how we're judged and, and you know, how we advance our career and what we're gauged on from a performance perspective. Uh, and honestly, I see a lot of parallels here when you think about uh, development and security, too. They're trying to get new features out, you know, to new applications to production and so on. And then here comes security adding friction, slowing them down, causing frustration. Uh, so I wanted to ask, you know, given those parallels, if you look at the push for devs, uh, DevOps and now DevSecOps, uh, do you feel like there's any headway being made in terms of breaking down silos and bringing those teams together, that kind of thing? So I'm going to say yes and no, because uh, so yes, in some ways, right? Because you're sort of taking development teams and, and the intention is for them to work with the operations group or in Dev, DevSecOps to have security be involved from day one, uh, especially even in the design meetings, you know, hey, this is how we want to develop this product or this application. You know, what do you all think about that? So I would say, yes, from that perspective, having everyone in the room up front can only help improve relationships, which then improves like, you know, you sort of understand, okay, these people aren't here to you know, make my job difficult, or they're not trying to slow me down, they really want to help me do this ahead of time so that I don't get slowed down at the end. So I think that can go a long way towards relationship building. But what I would say on the other side of it is, when smaller to medium sized businesses are trying to build a DevOps program, uh, I've seen in some cases where it's like, okay, we've got one or two people that are doing DevOps. And that's it, you know, so it's not this big team of people that are working together. And so it's like they're they're already trying to do development and operations, and now we're trying to include security, and they're like, oh my gosh, why? Why are you putting this additional strain on us? And so I think it can be a really great thing for bigger teams. I think that's super helpful to have everybody involved and to know who each other are, because I think that's part of the other problem is, you know, if you have this operations group on the other side of the wall that you never see and never interact with, it's difficult to put a face to, oh, I'm working with this person. Oh, I know this person. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can work together. So. I think the concept of it is is really great. And I think I've seen it in practice, it works really great too. Um, but I think for bigger teams, if you have a smaller team and you've got one person doing DevSecOps, <laughs> it's that's where it becomes an issue. But yeah, for bigger teams, um, I, I like the idea of bringing everyone into a room from day one because they get to see each other, they get to talk to each other um, and get to know each other over the course of the project, not introduce them when you're trying to go to production on a Friday and Thursday, you're like, oh, hey, by the way, here's the security team. They're going to do a review 
and uh, you may or may not pass. <laughs> so yes. Yeah, I think uh, I actually like the call out you made about DevSecOps is, you know, it, initially it was kind of uh, marketed as breaking down the silos between the teams and bringing all these teams together. But now you literally have people whose title is, you know, DevSecOps engineer. So it's just right. been rolled into a single person, essentially, or a single, you know, uh, type of, uh, you know, role, for example. Um, you know, one thing I want to touch on, too, is you talk in your book about emotional intelligence and things like that, communication. Uh, you know, us in tech, some people are very introverted. You know, those kind of topics are not something that they want to get. Uh, get too deep on they don't really you know they like working with themselves and working with technology and maybe not necessarily interfacing with a lot of people uh that said you know we actually have a guest coming up that's going to talk about the soft skills in cybersecurity. so i was curious how important are those soft skills things such as emotional intelligence you know interacting communication those kind of things when it comes to making headway between it operations and security yeah it's this is a great question because i feel like it it it's an incredibly important topic and mostly from a really just sort of understanding what those concepts mean in practice. So not just, you know, emotional intelligence is this, how do you talk to people? How do you understand people? How do you under, you know, empathy? How do you understand how people feel um, in a situation, but really in practice? And in practice, that means how do I communicate via email with this person if I am feeling frustrated or if my perception is that they're trying to, you know, put all of these security controls on this product and I don't know how and I'm frustrated. You know, how do you articulate that? Hey, you know what? I'm not sure if this is going to work this way. Can we work together and figure out if there's another solution for this? Or, hey, we can't apply this right now. What can we do in the meantime to help get us to a secure place until we can do X? And so I think it's about that understanding from both sides. Um, from IT and security teams when they're working together to sort of say, okay, I understand we have different goals. You might have a deadline. How can I either help you meet that deadline or let's figure out a way that we can come up with some creative solution so that way we're still putting security controls in place and protecting you from X, Y, and Z, but we're also making sure that we're, you know, we talk a lot about business enablement and things like that, but it's also how can I help make sure your job isn't super stressful? And I think that's part of what emotional intelligence is, is understanding that, you know, sending a 300 page vulnerability report to an IT operations engineer might be really stressful. Um, I, I bring up a sort of a, um, a scenario in the book where, you know, let's say a security assessor or an ISO or something sends a vulnerability report with 300 vulnerabilities in it at five o'clock on Friday. That is rough. That's rough for anyone on the IT side because, they get this email maybe before they're getting ready to head home and have their weekend. And they immediately, it's stressful. It's like, oh my gosh, I've got all these things I've got to take a look at. I don't know how to sort and prioritize these. How do I handle this? And that can fracture that relationship really quickly versus maybe 9 a.m. on Monday morning saying, hey, I have this report. Do you have some time today? We can talk about it. You know, I don't want to stress you out and send you 300 things and then just leave you to it. But hey, we can work on this together. And so I think emotional intelligence from that context is more about how do you build relationships with people that actually positively impacts um, and lowers risk. So um, everything from sending an email to scheduling a meeting to not scheduling a meeting. Uh, so it's it's sort of understanding how people are and, and how they actually feel in a situation versus, hey, why didn't they do why didn't they do X by this time when I thought that they would? 
Yeah, I love where you were going with that because you're kind of, you know, humanizing it in the sense that, you you know, you're thinking about the other person, what they may have going on, you know, context of when you're sending the message, how you're sending the message, you know, what time of the week it is, you know, how you're communicating that information is so critical to consider because uh, it can have a mega, uh, a pretty, you know, mega impact in terms of like how it gets across to the other party and how they collaborate with you. Um, you also talked about, you know, you talked about business enablement there. In the book, you have another section that talks about, you know, functionality and security. And, you know, anyone who's been security for some time has heard the phrase, you know, if you want to make it secure, unplug it or throw it in a lake or, you know, crazy things like that. Uh, but we all know that doesn't enable the business. Uh, so I'm curious your take on uh, functionality and security and how those, you know, two, two interplay together. Yeah, I was actually having this conversation with someone yesterday. We were talking about how do you how do you communicate from from the security side? How do you communicate with your IT counterparts, your development counterparts about why what you're doing is important? And to me, the bridge, that bridge of that, that gap is availability. In the CIA triad in security, you know, you have confidentiality, integrity, availability. Availability pairs really nicely with functionality, which is, you know, I do want these systems to be online and available because if they're down, that's also a problem for me because I want to know why they're down. Is it a DDoS attack? What's happening um, that's taking these systems down? So I find that availability is a really nice bridge to sort of start that conversation of, hey, we do need to have security in place. We've got to have these things you know, to, to help protect your systems because we want them to stay online. We want the business to continue. And if the systems go down because of ransomware or a DDoS attack, you, you're, the business isn't going to be supported either. And so I think when you're talking about contextualizing and functionality, it's really about availability. I want these systems to be online. I want customers to be able to access them, but I want them to be able to access them in a way that protects them and protects us as the business. Uh, because ransomware is a great example for really impacting the bottom line. And that has to do with functionality. If I can't get into my systems because they're all locked, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sort of dead in the water there. I'm not making money, probably losing money, and it might affect our reputation. So um, so availability is a great place to start that conversation. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you, you talk about, you have another section that talks about building trust and relationships and, you know, given that, you know, we're a security show, uh, if we're listening, if we're talking to the security audience, you know, what are some methods or recommendations about going about building trust and building relationships with your counterparts on the operation side? Yeah. So I think my first piece of advice, cause this was something, you know, taking uh, something I actually took from help desk, you know, when you work on help desk, there are more often than not, I had a lot of people call and yell at me for things, right? They were unhappy about something. And usually it wasn't even that, you know, let's say the printer was offline or they couldn't access email or something like that. And they would be incredibly frustrated. Chances are that person wasn't that upset about the printer or that upset about not being able to access email, but they were frustrated and needed a place to vent and take their frustration out. And so not taking that personally, you know, understanding that, you know, this person is probably frustrated for a number of other reasons. If I can help them solve their problem in some sort of timely manner, or at least help them understand that, hey, we have a situation going on. We have an outage. We're working on it. Here's your ETA. I'll keep you updated. Usually that conversation changes. It becomes a lot more, oh, okay. All right. You're not being combative with me. You understand that I'm frustrated. Okay. Um, so I've taken that sort of attitude with me through security, which is most often when I've worked with someone for the first time, someone in IT or a developer um, or a business or product owner, someone working with someone, sometimes they can be 
defensive right off the bat, you know, very much, I can't do this. I've got these requirements. I, you don't understand. And so if I can come to that conversation and say, okay, tell me what I need to know. What kind of requirements do we have in place? What kind of SLAs do you have? What kind of timelines do you have? Um, is this the end of the quarter? Is that a big deal for you? You know, so sort of asking them those questions up front lets them know that I'm not here to make their lives miserable, hopefully. <laughs> um, but it really changes the conversation from, well, you know, you didn't do this and you didn't do that to, okay, let's figure out what happened. What, you know, what happened? Was there some deadline you had to meet? Did you have to, you know, we have to make some changes. I know that that's going to be tough on the staff. How can we make these changes a little easier so that way not everyone is frustrated? So I think that's probably my first tip is to try to come into those conversations and understand that it's probably not your fault. It's probably nothing that you did. It's just maybe they've had bad experiences in the past. And so you have to sort of come in and change their minds about what, what I'm there to do, which is to improve security, but also, you know, help support them in whatever project or goals that they're working in. And I would say the second is that having a an understanding of how development works is a really important skill to have in security because if you don't understand, you know, application development in in some capacity, you don't have to be a developer, but at least understanding some of their requirements or how they work together, um that could be a really big benefit in helping you speak that language, helping you talk to them instead of saying, well, you know, this vulnerability, this CVE ID came out today and this is highly exploitable and this and that. And that's all important information, but give it to them in a context they understand and something they can action on too. Because if you just give them information, they're like, I don't, what do I do with this? So help them figure out how to do things. And by that, I mean, give them scripts to apply the settings, give them a script for detection you know, if if you've got something like Log4j or something big going on that you need action on, don't just tell them to look for it. Give them a script and say, hey, here's how you can find out if this is in your environment. Can you report back and let me know if you have it? And then I can help you fix it. So it becomes a let's work together instead of lobbing it over the fence and saying like, oh, just just figure it out. Just fix it. Yeah, I think that you 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 pointed out so many uh, great topics uh, in that you know response right there. One is emotional intelligence is where you emphasize again is just understanding. Hey, it, maybe it's not personal. Maybe it's not about me. They're having a bad day. They're under a stressful deadline. You know, ch- stepping back and detaching and actually thinking about it from that perspective and not taking it personal uh, takes a lot of emotional maturity. Uh, and then also, you know, contextualizing it, under like putting it in a way that they can understand it. It's applicable to their role and their function within the organization, and not just you know kind of uh, rambling off CVSS. You know, critical. You know, all these things that they may not know what the hell that means. Uh, so you got to try to explain it to them in a term that they can uh, make sense of. Uh, so some great points on that front. Uh, one other thing I want to ask you, you know, as we move forward in this, you know, trying to trying to bridge the divide between operations and security and development and security, you know, what do you see as some of the biggest gaps that remain? Is it, you know, is it a technology issue? Is it a personality, you know, kind of people problem? You know, what do you think some of the biggest gaps remaining are? I, I would say the biggest gap I see right now is perception. I think perception is a really big barrier and it's something that isn't studied a lot, especially in a technical context because of you know exactly what you're saying that we, we're technical people. We focus on technical solutions. We, we want to understand technology. We want to understand the tools, how they work together, how they integrate. And technology is changing so quickly that we focus a lot on that. You know, how do we how do we move to a container, um, a containered environment? How do we move to a server serverless infrastructure? How do we move to infrastructure as code? You know, all these 
questions that come up and we don't think about, well, how does this team perceive me? How does, how, how do I perceive another team? Um, perception has a lot to do with, you know, unconscious bias and how we interact with each other. And I would say that that's one of those things that really in the last two years, I've spent a lot of time looking into because without an understanding of how we work together and how we see each other, it can be really difficult to make progress. You know, teams that have been fighting for 10 years, there may, the perception might be, you know, well, this team did this, or this team did this five years ago in this thing. And it's sort of like, okay, is it still relevant today? Are you still frustrated about it? Can we figure some way to move past this? You know, so I think perception can be one of those really long lasting um, kind of detriments to to working in the technology field. And I think just as you mentioned um, early on, which is that, you know, we don't talk a lot about emotional intelligence and empathy in the technical field. And that's okay. But I think perception is another one of those big things that we don't talk enough about, about what, how perception affects our teams and how we work together. Uh, Cause it, it's the same thing, right? How people perceive management and maybe how management perceives their technical staff too. So it works both ways, both laterally and, you know, up and down in the, in the organization. So I think if we can understand that, am I upset at this person because of something that happened 10 years ago and I'm letting it impact how I make decisions today or is something really negative going on and I need to figure out how to handle that? So I think I think understanding how perception and unconscious bias affect how we make decisions um, and treat people is, is um, probably the biggest barrier that I would say. So not technology, more people. Yeah, I think that was actually a perfect way to kind of close the episode in some some senses. You know, your book is called Mind the Tech Gap. And you talked about those, those gaps, those perceptions, uh, you know, kind of like mending fences. You know, you've been working together for a long time. Maybe they did something at some point that you perceived a certain way. Uh, and it may not have even been intentional or, you know, whatever the case is, it's kind of working through that, trying to understand each other and try to, you know, mature together as a team. Uh, to, to drive those business outcomes. So I like how you close that up. I did want to ask our last question, of course, you know, in, ter- in terms of cyber resiliency, you know, what does it mean to you in the context of uh, operations and security? Yeah, so I, I've been thinking a lot about this too, because we ask so many people, what does cyber resiliency mean to you? And hearing so many different percep- or, um, perspectives on this. To me, cyber resiliency is about the integration of psychology and cybersecurity. It's about how we understand people, because if you can understand the people that you work with that are managing this technology, managing the infrastructure, it's only going to help build resiliency into those systems. And not just resiliency into the systems, but building resiliency into your teams. So how do you build resilient teams to go forward um, and work together? So so I would say I would take it from a resiliency from a people perspective, which is, you know, build resilient teams, work together and build those relationships. I like it. I like it. And I like, uh, you know, it's kind of human centered security as we see like a, a push for human centered design, yeah. human centered security. So I like it. And as we said, the book is called Mind the Tech Gap. Uh, so everyone go out and check it out. I think everyone really enjoyed it, especially if you're working in large organizations with different teams of people, you're trying to work together and drive uh, business outcomes. Definitely check it out. That said, thanks for everyone tuning in today and have a great weekend. Thanks, Chris.